All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire podcast. Football, I sound like a robot right there. Championship edition as we're going through a Boise and Fresno State. And you know the drill, MWC Wire and Twitter, Facebook, all that fun stuff. And uh, your team, yes, Matt Canerly, your team is in a championship game. Somehow we're eight and a half point underdogs, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Hey, it's up from 10. Yeah, that's true. Improving ever so slightly. Ever so slightly. So, we got the title game. We'll have um, later on the show. We've already chatted with our, um, bo- our finally we get a Boise State writer on this on this dang show and on our website. Roger Prabal will join us later on to chat about the Broncos predictions. I give a prediction. You give a prediction, and we talk about the game. But uh, we got title game. We got other stuff because you, you you like to go dive deep. You get all the good nuggets to chat about in the game with uh, Fresno and Boise using. Uh, whatever advanced stats you like to use, and usually, hopefully, people like it. I, I assume they do. I'm, I'm mostly keeping my fingers crossed most of the time that uh, people are able to understand it. So, actually, actually yeah. I should probably just put this disclaimer out there, especially since it's championship week, if we have any new viewers out there, or listeners, not viewers. If I ever start saying, if you hear something and it doesn't make sense to you after you hear it, feel free to reach out on Twitter. Yeah. What's your Twitter handle? That'd be helpful too. <laughs> it is it, it is at Matt K underscore FS. You know who does not know your Twitter handle but knows your work? Yeah, should we start there? Devin Nunes. <laughs> do we need oh, first Lord, off, do we need to put to? the explicit tag on this podcast? I need to know now. <laughs> no, no, I can I can monitor myself. If you want unfiltered, Matt, go to Twitter as well. <laughs> Yeah. That was, oh, yeah. Um, so apparently, you are the uh, was it the Stephen A. Smith of uh, the Central Valley? Well, it's better than being the Skip Bayless of the Central Valley. Guess so. At least here's the thing: I used to like Stephen A. Smith, so there's something. Never like Skip Bayless at all. I don't often go to eleven, but when I do, <laughs> when I do, apparently, I, apparently, it doesn't work out very well. Well, here's what we're talking about. So last year. Well, not even last year. Yeah, I guess last year. Fresno State made a hire, Jeff Tedford, who was the most blatantly obvious hire two miles away, 100 miles away. Our buddy um, Josh Webb, you put on in the article, and his, his tweet was, what, a year and a half almost before the hire was made? Is that correct? Something like that? 16? It was It was about a year before, at least, back going back to 2015. It's basically saying, look for Jeff Tedford to get hired because Jim Bartko and him are buddies. And it wasn't hard to connect the dots. You had that. You had Bart, um, not Bartko, excuse me. Yeah, when Bartko was introduced as AD, who was who's quoted? Jeff Tedford. And it was just, I think our point, my point still stands. And I still stand by this no matter what. The hire was botched because two reasons. And your one of your reasons as well is well pointed out is money because they're paying him a boatload of money. And he's doing a good job, but you say New Year's Six or bust. Also, they overpaid because he had all the leverage because everybody and their mom knew that's who the hire was. They were they were not looking at anybody else. And that's my issue. And I'll still I'll take that issue no matter what. Even if they win and go to the playoff, I'd still take an issue of it being the process being not very good. Yeah, so too long didn't read. I'm I'm it's making the rounds, apparently, for for all the people that think it's about one year. Um I didn't like the hire and I didn't make any bones about it. And so now a year later, as you might expect, 
you know, I'm wondering where all these people were a year ago when I first wrote it. <laughs> you know, that was like my that was like my first thought. I was like, why were these people reading my things a year ago? Like, why are they coming to it now? But anyway, to get back to your original point, you know, so Devin Nunes, who, if you're not familiar, you know, you may remember him as the head of the House Intelligence Committee in Congress. You may remember him as the guy making midnight runs to the White House sometime earlier this year and like trying to cover it up, trying to recuse himself from the Russia investigation, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is welcome to Mountain West Wire, your Central Valley politics podcast. Hey, we've, um, done, we've done this once before, I believe. Also, fun fact, happens to be my U.S. House representative. So you you and me fight it out between you and me and Jason Chaffetz and Nunes are a pretty bad fight. <laughs> yeah. So so if you weren't paying attention on Twitter the other day, essentially what happens? Devin Nunes retweets the link to my article from last year at the site we used to be at, and he calls it fake news. And and this is problematic for a few reasons. One, it was an opinion piece, right? It was not news. And, it was a column. And if you actually go back and read the column, regardless of whether you agree or disagree, by the way, FYI, another reminder, I'm going back to revisit that article as soon as bowl season's over. Nothing I said in that article wasn't true as far as the facts that I laid out. So that's one problem. Second second, se- second problem is he, 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 he tagged Jeff Tedford in it and it wasn't even the right Twitter handle. Oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> I oh, just yeah. saw that, that is not Jeff Tedford's actual Twitter handle. So, is that an actual guy, though? So it just kind of, well, I think it's like his old Twitter handle from 2012 or something. So it's so it's not a Aaron Gordon or some other guy who has the same name as a famous guy. Not one of those situations. No. no those are funny, too, to follow. Still wrong, though. Yeah. And so it just kind of makes him look like an idiot on those two counts. And also... He's Devin Nunes, and he has much bigger things to worry about. You would think so. Than than trying to uh, uh, score cheap political points, you know, by you know from his own constituents or something like that. Never mind the fact that he hasn't actually been to Fresno since like 1986. At this point, there's a the mom there. Is that how he gets elected? <laughs> well, long story short, screw that dude. <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it at that. Okay. I'm looking at Barkboard. Apparently, they got Salty, too, on October 27th. But here's the thing also. did they, If they read it, did you not read the first line? You're like, I hope I'm wrong. No, no. The, see, the thing is, everybody pays attention to the headline, and nobody knows yeah. what I was actually I arguing for. Yeah. But, yeah, and, yeah, it's just a thing I have to deal with at this point. And also, again, it's one year. And also, like, his bonus money, that's why he's not taking Oregon State job or any other Tennessee job. He's getting good money. Like, and by the end of the season, I don't know what they're getting at, um, what Scott Frost is getting if they win or Norvell at Memphis if they go to a big money bowl game. Guarantee, he, Tedford's going to be the highest paid coach in a group of five. He's, like, top 50 with all these bonuses he's getting. Like, he gets 100 k for six wins. 100k oh, yeah, he, to win. He, it's bonus. Like I did a little video joking about it. Him versus Nick Saban bonus structure. He blows Nick Saban out of the water. Yeah, he's already cleared two million if you include his bonuses on top of his base salary. So, yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Here's a couple. I'm looking at a few of those uh, comments on Barkboard. Would you say that? Well, it's, I still think it's a little too early to tell. 
some people are asking, like, should you admit that you're wrong about the article? The how well, here's what it is about, here's where it goes. By my opinion, or this guy goes, but my opinion is that he should also be willing to own that he is now looking wrong about the Tedford hire. Well, and I've, I'm if I'm a part of the Bark Board myself, so I've already gone on there and acknowledged that I wouldn't be. I don't. I mean, I don't consider myself a journalist per se, but I, I don't consider myself a legitimate writer if I don't go back and self-examine or self-critique the arguments that I was making beforehand. So stay tuned for that in a few weeks. I'm going to wait until bull season plays itself out, until the season is over, then I can get the entire picture. Let's but just I, hope this... But I think at this oh. point it is pretty safe to say that, you know, no dumbest hire in conference history is, 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 is uh, a coach of the year winner. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and... Uh... I'll say this. I'll say the title's probably not correct anymore. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. Um, you're you're sort of familiar with BYU, correct? I am. Do you know who Gary Croton is? I do know who Gary Croton is. Would you like to know how well Gary Croton coached his first year at BYU? Didn't he win like 10 games his first year? Their team was in contention for the first ever, I think first ever, or BCS game. Well before Utah, well before TCU, Boise State. His... 2001 year, they went 12 and 2. They were 12 and oh, excuse me, oh, where's that? 10 and 0. Crap, I'll try to pull up here. Here's the thing: they were yeah, I got it right here. They were 10 0. They got pissed because the BCS said when they're ranked number 10 in the country, they're not going to be considered for the BCS despite being number 10. I think at the time it'd be top six, like when Utah made it. Yeah, like look at the rank. Just whatever the rankings doesn't matter. 10. They were 10 and 0. They go to Hawaii the week at next week. Like if we win, we might have a chance. They lose seventy-two to forty-five. <laughs> then they lose to uh, Louisville, who was ranked twenty-three, or BYU's nineteen, twenty-eight to ten. The reason I'm bringing that up because it's not necessarily a turnaround situation because Louisville Edwards retired the year before, and he yeah downturn uh, downturn for BYU, but not like what Fresno was dealing with. Twelve and two, five and seven, four and eight, five and six. So, while at the year one point, I would say, like like I said, your title is probably, obviously, in my opinion, not correct because Coach of the Year. So, and you're happy, you're probably happy to be wrong as well because look how good your team is doing. Uh, that was the first thing I said. I know, exactly. <laughs> but also, it's one year and BOE fans were ecstatic about having uh, Gary Crutton there. And he had a 26-23 record and 12 of those wins came in one year. I'm not saying that Fresno State could happen, but... I know people look at the what you do for me lately or how soon, like, oh, it's terrible. Like, your thing, a year later, people are finally finding it because of whatever reason. And, yeah, but what happens if Fresno goes 6-6 six and six next year, 4-8? and eight, They kind of decrease and they peter out again. That may not happen, but but say if it does, then you'd, you'd be right, correct? Or closer to right than wrong? Yeah, yes and no. I don't know. Well, there's there's the difference between one year and five years. You're right yeah. about that, and, and that's my point. Gary Cronin popped in my mind like he had one great year and everything else is crappy. But I guess we'll I guess we'll see in the long run. What do we do? We, that means we have to keep doing this for like four more years at least. Well, I have to keep doing this for the next four <laughs> years at least. All right. So we just want to bring it up because yeah, if you're gonna call someone on Twitter, first off, your Twitter handle is right on that page as well, so it could have tagged you. But then again, he'd have to start a conversation with somebody he um, is, lives in his area, and he doesn't like that. So, yeah, he'd have to talk to anybody who wasn't a conservative talk sh- talk radio host. So his best friend, Sean Hannity, those guys. 
he hasn't been about that action in this decade. But anyway. Okay. All right. One more question as we follow up on this stuff. You got an email recently. I did. Would you like to address the email? No. <laughs> okay. Let's just say this. It's, it's kind the, of a- Okay. It's the first email I've ever gotten about anything I've ever written. I'm pretty sure. I just thought it was hilarious because it was from it was from this guy who sent it from his work email. That's what I wanted you to get at. That's what I'm saying. He... <laughs> so, so, hint, helpful hint. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to write to writers, if you disagree with them, if you want to, you know, strut a little bit, whatever, that's fine. But just you know, don't don't do it from your professional email address. Yeah, if you want to use your first and last name, heck, even phone number and your signature, fine, but use the Yahoo or Gmail account, right? Don't do it from an account through which I can look you up and then find your boss and then email them in response with my disappointment in you. Is that the end result of this so far? Is that the current result? Yeah, I haven't heard anything from the boss, but I imagine they got a talking to. I don't know. I like to to imagine that they did. I honestly don't know. I'm going to tell a quick story because this shows – we'll get to the game shortly and we'll have our interview at the end. But do you remember when I talked – I think I talked to you maybe offline about when he used to produce the BYU show. You know that West Virginia dude on Twitter? Uh, Yes. The expansion Big 12 guy who thinks he's right about flip-flops and everything and anything? So apparently, back when this is back when BYU is trying to get into Big 12, and everybody is UCF, Memphis, CSU, Boise, Aztecs. He would just put out just weird stuff off the wall. And I could say this is sort of on me to start a little bit, but like on our radio station account, I screenshotted not to attack him because I'm sort of smart. You know what I mean? You don't really want to get it going on. You. I'm like, and I forget what the exact tweet was he had, or I screenshot him a cage. Be careful of your sources. Which. For me, I think that's more of a PSA. Why do you follow this guy who doesn't have a website, doesn't do anything, when I'd rather follow... Heck, I'd even rather follow Clay Travis on this stuff because she's pretty good back in the day, back in 2010. No, no back in 2010, though, he had that stuff down. Uh, anyway, I'm just saying, yeah, give him some credit. But I'm saying, like, credible people who, like Mc, Brett McMurphy, um, Stu Mandel, those type of guys. But I'm just saying, you want to follow somebody who... Or local guys in the area. You don't want to follow some random dude. Like, why would you follow me for expansion news? I'll give you opinion, but I'm not going to know any news, right? What do I know? Yeah, nobody talks to us. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, I <laughs> I, I knew a tiny bit about the BYU thing back in the day where I worked at, but it was just me rehashing and hearing a few conversations. I'm like, okay, cool. But nothing like, if you were right, you couldn't hear me if we were on the radio that day and just listening. I just happened to be in the back room doing some work. Mm-hmm. But, like, and so it was just, and BYU fans got over me on this, too. Like, what are you doing? This guy, I'm like, I don't, I don't think I responded to many at all. And the guy in the host kind of got a little miffed at me. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, and he wanted to get him on the show. I don't know if we ever did or not. I'm like, I kept telling him, don't do it. Don't do it. He's like, well, I'm going to email your boss. He would tag people and stuff. And then he actually, it wasn't too hard to find my email or actually like the program director of both of our stations. Like he emailed him, didn't copy us, but emailed him and said, basically, you guys are trying to make me look bad. And if you, if the thing that made me laugh so much is like, you want to, you want to help me find my sources or help confirm this? I'm like, dude, we're not here to help you. I never heard one word from my boss ever about that. <laughs> I'm just saying he interesting too. Like he he tagged like he emailed like Tom Homer the AD and like CC people and stuff. I'm like and you know, it's dumb. Like he would put those guys' emails in there. I'm like, what are you doing? Like a screenshot? And I I talked to I don't I never saw that guy every day. I'm my the program director every day because his show was during mine. We'd always say hi almost every day. Never said a single word to me ever about that. So I'm not saying your guy won't, but I'm just saying it's um. It's fine to do, but I, I was like, me and the other guy thought, like, well, maybe he'll say something. He never did, but 
it's good to let people know. But the point is not to go off on what I was doing. But if you're going to criticize, um, just don't use work email. Come on. Yeah, don't do that. Just and use so. use Twitter like everybody else. Yeah, and don't be your Twitter professional account like I kind of did. Screw things <laughs> up a bit. But that would kind of that kind of got out of hand. But I felt vindicated because first off, the boss probably just threw it away. And never like oh cool, cool whatever come on these guys can handle themselves and two that guy's completely wrong so I win but anyway. yes we'll see yeah so you you're you're glad to be wrong at this point you're probably glad to be wrong for the next five years ten years twenty years but it, it's out there it happened and why can't people be wrong yes yeah, sensational headline but whatever I got I got <laughs> people got mad at me for clickbait for clickbait because I put something about the which we'll get into now I guess the Vegas Bowl director talking about oh we can we can take the loser. I put a tweet out there as like the Las Vegas Bowl director is perfectly fine taking Boise State if they lose the title game. That's a that's an accurate headline. Am I correct? Is that too um, clickbaity to go to TMZ or or BuzzFeed type title? I mean, I don't think so because you know if you if you look at the quote, you know his exact quote according to BJ Rains from uh, I believe the Idaho Statesman, right? Uh, Press Tribune. Press Tribune. Excuse me. Our intention each year is to take the champion, but we do have the flexibility to select either. So if you think about it in terms of like, you know, what you can assume from that statement or what the insinuations from that statement are, what he's essentially insinuating is that, you know, if they see something they like in, you know, either team, regardless of whether they win or lose, then... You know, I mean, yes, technically, traditionally, they do take the Mountain West champion, but they aren't necessarily beholden to do that. Like, they never they, have been. They never, ever have been. It's just that's what they normally do because the champion is usually the best team, right? So, you know, I think what you what your headline suggests that, you know, <laughs> they could take the loser of the Las Vegas Bowl or of the title game. That's exactly what he's saying. You know, we have the select. We have the flexibility to select either. That's you know, selecting either the winner or the loser. And you know, if you look at the attendance figures from you know this year, uh, obviously Fresno State's numbers are a little bit skewed. I think by the season opener where they retired Derek Carr's jersey. You know, they mm-hmm. basically sold out Bulldog Stadium for that game. But on the year, like there's really only a difference of about two thousand people. Between Boise State and Fresno State, uh, the Broncos do end up having an edge with their year at, at uh, Albertson Stadium. But then, like, if you really think about it, like, if Bo- if Fresno wins, you know, all of a sudden you're talking about a 10-win team that's probably going to be ranked right around 20 in the final college football playoff. They're going to have a chance at history going from, you know, 11 losses to 11 wins in a single year. The biggest win improvement possible in college football history. Yeah, ten wins, and you're not gonna t- and you're not gonna take that team. Like I, I mean, I can see where they would want to say yes. We have the flexibility to do what we want, but then, like when you really think about it, like is he trying to suggest that Fresno State fans won't show up for an opportunity like that? Because I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah, it's also it's closer. Because it's what six hours, correct? Drive. Yeah, it's a six hour six hour drive, like you know, ninety sixty minute flight. It's about twelve from Boise to Las Vegas drive. Yeah, so I just 
I mean, I could get why he would want to say it, but then, like, to say it just, like, unprompted, <laughs> it struck... That was, I think, what struck me as kind of weird. It's like, <laughs> why would you need to say this now, you know? Especially if Boise loses twice to Fresno. I feel like that would be really bad optics for the Vegas Bowl in the long run. Yeah, there's. it's also a team that's not going to be ranked. They're going to be on two-game losing streak, and it's just ridiculous. And... The last time, real quick, if you're wondering, there's 2011 where TCU won the title, and this is a non-near-six BCS team. That's the only time where that happened where they TCU went to the Poinsettia Bowl and Boise went to the Vegas Bowl. So one time ever in a conference, what, 19, 20 years, that's the case. So yeah. it's rare, but we also know it's not – this isn't – this is not anything new. That's every position in the conference is essentially it's place order. It's not the final um, – standing order and so the way he's so open about it is fine and then Boise fans get mad about me for putting a tweet out there like the title it's like yeah I want people to click on it I'm not going to put a dumb headline on there but it's also accurate it's like they could take a loser and that's exactly what he said and, and it's different wording but he said yeah we could take whoever we want and I and my point is also this is a business and typical history like bigger brand we can both agree to Boise State but, like, I think Fresno would travel after, especially the way they've been playing the past couple of years. This is a welcome thing. And I know they're like, no, we're fine. We'll go to, we'll go to the, uh, what is it, the uh, Foster's Farm Bowl or something. Or we're at Cactus Bowl for more money. But they will go. If it's in Vegas, they will go. Like, when they played USC, they will go and fill up the stands. Yeah, I mean, when you, I was there at the Las Vegas Bowl. Unfortunately, and... yeah. It was not fun. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the game itself was a disappointment, but, like, fans showed up. They sold out that half of the stadium and basically killed it all afternoon. So, you know, obviously this is a much different circumstance. Like, they aren't necessarily disappointed after falling just short of the BCS or anything like that. Like, this is, if they win and they get accepted, they're on the verge of history. People are going to go there for that. And if they win the bowl game, they could be a top 20 team. Yeah. Like, that's not far-fetched and be like 18. Like, I don't know how high they'll be, but they'd be Boise. It's still a good win. They'd probably pull come out again, like playoff ranking. But maybe, let's say they move up two spots, 23. Mm-hmm. End of season, they play, they'll probably be a, not a great team, but they just keep winning. They could really be maybe 19. That might be the ceiling, 19. But, geez, why would they not want to take a team that's ranked as well? That's part of it, too. If you have that number in front of you, people will oh, tune in and watch. Exactly. All right, let's move on real quick. We'll get to the game here. But one last thing I want to mention with you. We had today the um, all-conference team selection. And apparently I'm getting a lot of heat on our Twitter account. Um, I don't know if it deserve it or not. I would say no. But here's the the picks overall. I think they're mostly pretty good. Right? I only really had a few small quibbles. You know, obviously, if you, if you look at the first team selections, I think for the most part they got it right. Mm-hmm. You know, on the second team, you know, rather than David, I put it out there on Twitter earlier, but I'll just mention it here. You know, if obviously Jake Rowe is an easy first team selection at tight end, but yeah. I think that I would have voted for Dax Raymond from Utah State as mm-hmm. the second team rather than David Wells. And, you know, rather than David Moa, I probably would have taken Malik Forrester along the defensive line. Yeah, him not making it at all is kind of surprising. Isn't Jabril Fraser also a linebacker? Why is he listed as a defense lineman? Well, he's he's he plays that Defensive stud end. position, so he's uh, he's mm-hmm. somewhere in between outside. Okay, yeah. So and then I, I, I would have wanted to find a spot for Ron Smith because I think if there's any one guy who maybe got hosed more than anybody else, I feel like it was him. You know what because, happens? 
they they were they were they, they were sent only the Northern Illinois tape. <laughs> no, <stop. laughs> I'm kidding. That was just I just remember but, that specifically where he, he he had a tough time that game because you know the the interception number doesn't jump off the page. You know he only had two picks on the year, mm-hmm. but he was number one in the conference as far as passes broken up. And I think that when you consider the the job that this secondary has done as a whole, you know it seemed like. You know, yeah. Other than the other than the Northern Illinois game where he gave up a few big plays, it seemed like every single time I watched him this year, he was locking someone up. Yeah. And so, you know, I feel like parsing through secondary selections was probably the hardest job for anybody who was making these choices. So it's it's hard to find someone to take off from that because if you look at the second team, it's Tariq Thompson who definitely deserves to be there. Kakoa Nawahini from Boise State, Rico Gafford from Wyoming, Davian Baber from Nevada. I'm thinking maybe I would have taken Smith over Baber because most of Baber's production came in one or two games. Yeah, and also that's probably, I, I could argue, I think we said preseason, that's the deepest position, I think, on the whole conference. Yeah, and then back. I had a couple a couple people say that Natani Muti probably should have got more, more run as an offensive lineman selection. And I think I, I can I can see that because you know he's the only new guy along uh, an offensive line that was just not very good last year, and he's made a he's made a world of difference both in terms of run blocking and pass blocking. So Brandon, real quick, Brandon Foster of the Trib.com. Well, I mean, he is surprised that Marcus Epps, another secondary guy, wasn't even on any ballot to be chosen. That is weird. <laughs> that is weird. So I think first team was fine. I am. I don't. I don't think any quibble. The only quibble I really have a little bit. Brett Ripon being first, second team quarterback. I don't know, man. I him splitting time is a deal for me, as I mentioned a million times. I I feel like probably McMarion or Ty Ganji could have gotten that. Should have gotten that. Yeah, I mean, I think you could make pretty fair arguments for all three of those guys, because the one thing that Brett Ripon has going for him is like, yeah, even though he got off to a slow start in non-conference play. You know, if you look at what he's done specifically against the Mountain West, he's mm-hmm. pretty much been back to his normal self. You know, he completed two thirds of his passes. Yeah, you know, he was averaging right around eight and a half yards per attempt. You know, and his touchdown to interception ratio is better than anybody's in the conference. It's uh, at thirteen to one at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I can see your point as far as. You know what yeah, I like? The, I, the I like fact, production. The fact that they're still somehow pulling him from Montel Cozart for handfuls of plays at a time. Yeah, that too. I'm still ugh, never get over that. But you know, on the whole, I I guess I don't have a huge argument with it because I think that you know you probably could have taken any of those three guys and made a pretty strong case for any of them. It's true. I know Wind's probably a tiebreaker. Like I, Dave South- Southorn messaged us a little bit. He like he was tough choice between. Uh, McMarion and Brown, and not Brown, excuse me, um, Rippin. I don't know. I that twenty-one touchdowns for Ty Gange in league play. That's pretty good. But that's eleven pick, nine picks is tough. Yeah. All right. So should we get the biggest? Um, I think is the biggest uh, obstacle or biggest uh, eyesore. Are you talking about the thing we're getting the most grief about? Yeah. Am I wrong on that? For the defensive player of the year award going to a guy who, I know it's not a numbers stat, but numbers game, but. Should um, Leighton Vander Esch been the Defensive Player of the Year? No, he should not have been. I agree. Okay, thank you. I mean, who I should just have, like? I just he's don't... good, but it's I don't I don't get it. Okay, want to want to? I'm excited to be something really honest here because I watch games like in mute and fast forward. Mm-hmm. 
I haven't really paid attention to him one bit this year. Is that wrong for me to say? That I haven't seen too much of him to stand out for the games I've watched? Because we watch a lot of games. I fast-forward through games. I'll do like the 30-second button between plays. I notice Carl Granderson. I know it's Frank Ginda. I notice like uh, Andrew Wingard making plays. Logan Wilson making plays. I well, I don't know. Okay, so I mean, if you if you look at the raw numbers, you can see where he might have a case because you know he finished with what 115 tackles on the year and stuff. Like uh, that. I actually have right here. Somebody just tweeted me moments ago. Let me pull it up here. So the BSU Sports Report, they follow us. They're cool people. They just replied back when I put this. My original tweet this morning, which. It seemed like piling on because I already mentioned Burt Rippon and stuff. And I put, um, well, how is um, he considered the best defender? Phil, there are other options. The one reply they had to me, 113 tackles, okay, five and a half TFLs, three forced fumbles, two INTs, three sacks. Those are solid numbers. Okay. I, I point out Carl Granderson, not saying he should win it, but look what he did. Yeah, only 72 tackles, but 15 TFLs, two forced fumbles, two picks, seven and a half sacks. And okay. on defense, has a lot better players too overall, I think. Or at least close to it. And I mean, if you if you break down Vander Esch's numbers by conference play, like it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like he's he, a guy who racks up tackles, I guess. But you know, in conference play, he was only seventh. You know, he was behind, you know, guys like Suli Tamayevena, who you know over at Utah State, who I'm assuming didn't get much consideration at all. He was behind Austin Paulus as far as tackles. Um, you know, he's behind four other guys who ended up making the two deep in. You know, Frank Ginda, Jelani Tavai, Andrew Wingard, Logan Wilson. But then, you know, the, and the numbers that really matter more, like tackles for loss. Do you want to know how many he had in conference? Two? Two. Oh, I just took a guess. Sorry. <laughs> Do you want to know how many sacks he had in conference? Uh, Half. Zero. Okay. It, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, like he's a good player, see, but it's like, come on. He, he is a good player, and that's not a slight. You know, and if you look at the more advanced numbers over at Football Study Hall, you know, his success rate against him, like when he's in all play, is 40%. You know, that's pretty good, I think, all things considered. And he's credited with 15 run stuffs. But, you know, is has he been, like, as consistently a disruptive force as, like you, like you pointed out, Carl Granderson? I think Granderson had a way better argument for being the defensive player of the year. You know, Frank Ginda, for all the struggles at the San Jose State Spartans have had this year you know the guy did work week in and week out and I think that you know even if the defense as a whole wasn't great you know he showed up and you know he had what two and a half times or he had at least twice as many tackles for loss as Vander Esch did he had and maybe maybe some of that is a matter of opportunity but still here's the thing though about Ginda if he's only playing a team the offenses should be blocking him, should be focusing focusing on him more. Mm-hmm. And so, and they couldn't. He had 13 TFLs. He had 19 more more tackles than anybody in all of FBS. And then I get this dumb argument. Well, he's a linebacker, not a defense lineman. Sacking the QB isn't his first priority. Well, okay. Then what was his priority? He didn't lead the conference in any category, did he? No. No, it's like, I know it's not a numbers thing, but like me saying like I didn't notice him in the games that's okay maybe that's on me a bit obviously but I've noticed other guys making plays I don't notice him making huge plays I mean he, if he did if... but it's like I just saying that maybe that's on me but it's like I notice these other people making plays and hearing these names more so I mean let's not he might not even be the best linebacker on his own team isn't Frazier maybe better <laughs> well not not only Jabril Frazier but Curtis Weaver as well yeah he who... freshman freshman of the year right 
uh, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he like? Didn't they say he's like the first true freshman ever to make the first team All Mountain West team? That's what it was. Not freshman. Yeah, that's because that's Armani Rogers. Since I think, uh, yeah, ever I believe, yeah. And you know, if you look at his numbers, they kind of jump off the page a little more than Vanderash's does. You know, he had ten tackles for loss, which is nearly twice as many. You know, he had eight sacks, and his success rate, if you are interested in that kind of thing, ten percent lower than Vanderash's. I don't know. I just think we're getting too much heat for saying he, like, I don't think it was clear cut by any means. I mean, it strikes me as the kind of thing where, like, maybe if there were, what, 15 voters and six guys voted for, like, five different players. Well, I do know the guy from out of state been voting for LVE, so there's one guy. Because, I mean, cause, I, I mean, just don't. I it just seems odd. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, go ahead. I also would have given a lot of consideration to someone like Cameron Kelly down at San yeah. Diego State. I, I feel like he had a very good argument. You know, Jalen Davis, I think, had a pretty good argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I like, think there were at least three guys who probably had better arguments than Van Der Esch did. Tariq Thomas had five interceptions. Jalen Davis had five picks, three returns for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you not... Not saying he's the case, but there's guys who, like... I like for plays. He led the conference in pass defenses and was second in PBUs. It's like, okay, he's one of the probably the best defensive back in the conference. How is that well, not considered? Also, it's Andy scores too. It's like he puts up points too. Andy forced a fumble. It's oh man, sorry, I'm also talking too much. <laughs> Andrew Wingard. Yeah, like, he's that's good a guy. Too. I like you know, obviously, in the last couple of years, Demonte Casey had very good cases for winning for winning the award. But I mean, you compare the two numbers. Like Wingard had just about as many, you know, tackles. I think he had two fewer tackles than Vander Esch did, but. You know, he's a guy who created more plays. I think he, what, had three interceptions on the year? Um, sorry, who are you referring to again? Wingard. I'm not sure. I do, uh, he had a couple. He had, he, had four, he had four interceptions on the year, and I believe three of them were in conference play. You know, so, you know, three interceptions, three more passes defended. You know, a guy who has as many tackles from the safety position as Vander Esch has from the linebacker position. <laughs> Also, real quick, so Jalen Davis, I'm perusing his stats. Do you know how many TFLs he had? I do not. Five. It's pretty good. Five and a half for the defensive player of the year. Who plays yeah. a position who should be getting to the quarterback more often, or the backfield. So, I think we're done with there. I just think the hate is overwhelming, and it's uh, misguided. Can we also talk a little bit about Armani Rogers' as freshman of the year as well? Mm, sure. What do you think about that? I think he's, uh, Maybe. If I'd had a vote, I probably would have put him third. I need to see how we can get a vote. We need to get a vote. <laughs> yeah, who would we talk to about that? I, I know a few people. I can, um, well, too bad Jobin's not there. He got a job in Hawaii running to most hotel, hotel, which is pretty nice. But I know a few people there. I should send a couple DMs out and see what's going on. It's like, hey, how do we get a vote? Because um, we know what we're doing. I mean, if it were me, if, if I had had the vote, I would have voted for Tariq Thompson. Because it seemed like every single time I was tuning into an Aztecs game, that guy was making a play. Yeah, and especially a plays in like critical situations. Like I think he clinched one or two games within an interception this year. And you know, I feel like he had a really good case, and we had some Nevada folks out there who were pointing out the fact that McLean Mannix had a very good case. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. Like I think both of those guys are gonna be nightmare matchups for at least the next two years. 
and and you can definitely make the case for Mannix, you know, being what sixth in the conference in receiving in receptions. Like I think he was fifth in receiving yards as a true freshman. Yeah, fifty-seven, six TDs, thirteen and a half yards per catch. He, so, I mean, he had himself a very good year. So, like, if it were me, those guys would be like one and one A. And and I would give the nod to Thompson just because I feel like he was part of a better unit overall, which really helped him to thrive. And I feel like he's going to be really tough to tangle with in the next couple of years. I agree. All right, should we get to the game now? Should we uh, talk about the championship game? Let's do it. All right, let's. Um... 36 minutes in, we're getting to the game. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, right? I don't know. It's, um, so we'll have our interview with Raja here in a minute. That goes through a lot of stuff. But let's get to stuff we didn't talk about with them. So the game really quick. It's um, 545 uh, Mountain, 445 Pacific, ESPN. Um, one, thing, one quick thing I'm writing on this game. Should this game be an earlier game or a later game? Because of if people don't actually watch this game who aren't occupied by another matchup. Well, I mean, that depends. I know that we've heard a lot throughout the year about whether Boise State fans, which I don't think they're immune to this. They're a lot like a lot of other fan bases. Mm -hmm. Would they show up for a 7 o'clock kickoff? Actually, 8 o'clock probably. Or an 8 o'clock kickoff, yeah. We had the game on CBS at 10 p.m. Eastern before, so 8, 7, 8 kickoff. And we talked about before, is on CBS, you can't really do it before because SEC games, what it... uh, for Eastern, so that window's kind of tight. you got to have your local news and stuff in before then. So this time around, it's like, I get their point. I hated covering 8.30 games because you get home at 3 a.m. because it's annoying and boring and terrible. Yeah. This year, about, they're on ESPN, though. Here's what I'm thinking. Because the games are matched up against for the Big Ten, which has play of implications, as of the ACC game on Fox and ABC itself. you got Miami and uh, Clemson and who's Ohio State, Wisconsin. So those are pretty big games. Much more implications than this game. I'm looking at the TV schedule for ESPN. So I got all the 10 a.m. for me Mountain Time, noon Eastern games. You got the American. You have the Conference USA. You got the MAC title game, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking. I'm like, okay, what's after that? Because there's a huge gap. Because this is 545. They have some SEC basketball game, like Kentucky playing some no-name school. And Duke playing some no-name school on ESPN, ESPN2. Mm-hmm. Why can't this game go like a 3.30 or 4 Eastern, which is a 1 or 2 o'clock afternoon kick? Good question. I know there's basketball and all that fun stuff, and I'm trying to see who plays around that same time because that might there be some overlap like the, with the SEC title game and everything. But you would have only like that's about it. Like TC Oklahoma's already done. You really have just Georgia Auburn. That's it. Mm-hmm. There's no other game that's on that's ranked game. There's a few other like Sun Belt has a bunch of games, but there's not many other matchups going on during that time. And so it's like why would it, like Florida State UL, ULM. Nothing's going on at that time. There's just that one game. That's about it. Why could they not stick at a better time to maybe more people to watch? Well, I mean, maybe it's a sign of the times where, you know, if people really want to watch, put one game on the TV, one on the laptop, one on the tablet. Problem yeah, solved. True. It's just uh, interesting. Also, real quick on CBS, why that didn't work out. When Utah State was in the title game, I'm in the Utah market. They put the game on an alternate channel, not on the main CBS feed. Huh. Which was weird. But, um, all right, so we actually get to the game now. So we already talked, we'll talk about point spread, eight and a half point spread, 10 points uh, was the starting line. So we had the game last week. Do you think Boise State did a bunch of interesting plays just to screw with Jeff Tedford? I mean, yes and no, because we knew going into last week, they, they had something invested in winning that game. 
because you know for all the uh the fear around the fact that this game is being held in boise rather than fresno you know if boise had won that game which i think you don't come out with a with a flea flicker on the first drive if you're not trying to win the game somehow you know if you're not trying to knock a defense on their heels so i don't necessarily think it was just for show i think they were trying to throw a very stout defensive curveball and i mean let's not forget like that play worked and they got a chunk a big chunk of yardage out of it and ultimately they marched down the field on that first drive and they scored a touchdown so I mean, to answer your original question, no, I don't think that's the case. I don't think they were messing around. I think they were trying to win a game and just ran into a very good team that held them in check. Do you think Jeff Tedford didn't matter that they were doing that? Like, do you think it would update, not update, but, um, yeah, maybe change their preparation? Because we know what they do, but they're running these plays out there. Just Do you think they were going to prepare any differently? Or they already know Boise does it anyway, so maybe it's like, okay, whatever. We know that plays in the arsenal. That, I think, is a very good question. But I think it kind of depends on whether Boise State learns early whether they're going to be able to run the ball or not. Because, you know, Alexander Madison, I think, may be even more critical in this game than he was last game. Because, you know, he only ended up with 63 yards. But as I mentioned on the recap, you know, more than half of those yards came on three carries. And, you know, if you look at what he was able to do and what the Boise State running game was able to do from quarter to quarter you know it wasn't really that great like you know they got a little bit of traction in the first quarter they had 30 rushing yards but by the second quarter you know they were averaging you know under three yards a carry and you know through the third quarter they were really scuffling to move the ball on the ground you know in the second quarter and the third quarter they were under three yards a carry so they basically held Madison in check. You know, Montel Cozart had a nice scramble for a first down. I think Britt Rippon had one where he escaped a sack, got a first down on his own. Madison is going to have to figure out a way to come through in this game. And to me, the biggest matchup in this particular game is going to come on the interior of the Boise line versus the interior of the defensive line for Fresno State. And I think it's fair to say that you know, the Bulldogs won that matchup pretty handily the first time. You know, like, you know, Brett Rippon had time to throw more often than not. I feel like both both front sevens were fairly even as far as the amount of pressure they were able to get on the opposing quarterbacks. But, you know, the guys up front for Fresno State, you know, Malik Forrester, um, you know, Tabeno Akeke, you know, and, you know, George Helmuth behind him in the, in the linebacker court, Jeffrey Allison especially, like those guys came to play and they basically shut down the running game. So what's interesting to me this time around is they're going to be without Nate Madsen this time. And to me, that makes Kevin Atkins, who's actually gotten more and more playing time in the last couple of weeks, you know, he's probably going to have a bigger role in the rotation and it's going to be really important for him to step up and be kind of as productive next to Forrester as, you know, Madsen had been in the weeks before that. You know, it, they're going to have, you know, I think they're going to have John Mulchin and Eric Cavedo and, uh, and Mason Hampton kind of on their heels more often than not. So, I don't know. Maybe I just, I saw last week's game and it went almost as I envisioned it would. And it's really hard for me to see how Boise State's going to make any adjustments to get the running game going. So I'm kind of faced with the same questions. Like, if that's the case, 
you know, is is Brett Rippon going to be as good as he's been basically in the month of November? I think that's more or less the same key. Is that the main your main thing for the game if they're going to win, if the running game gets going? Because passing game seemed to be fine last week. It was just that Madison had uh, struggled with 67 yards, and Fresno's done that to everybody this year. Pretty much anybody's played rush the ball against them has probably had one of the worst games of the year. The running game is going to be absolutely critical for Boise State. And, I mean, and it's not just because, you know, Fresno State's got a really good defense, so they need to figure out something. But, you know, this would be like, what, the third week in a row that Madison's had a really slow game? And, you know, some of that against Air Force was the fact that they didn't really need him to do all that much after the first quarter. They pretty much had the game in hand at a certain point. But, you know, if if Boise State... Which leads me to something else that I think is going to be really important in this game. One of the other things that the Broncos have done really well this year is win the field position game. You know, and that's one of those really important things that football study hall keeps track of. On offense, you know, they rank 15th nationally in average starting field position. And if you look at what they've done in the last month, if you go through game by game, you know, they had a huge advantage against Air Force owing mostly to the fact that they were able to create those early turnovers, put the game away pretty early. You know, they had a disadvantage against Colorado State and it nearly cost them. You know, they had to really throw to win in that game. Against Nevada, they had a huge advantage, and they ended up winning that game pretty handily. Against Fresno State last week, they did not have an advantage. They were actually, you know, six. they had six more yards to go on the average drive than the Bulldogs did. So to me, that's another one of those really subtle things that like, you know, if they're, if they start at the 20 and Madison can't get it going, you know, and then all of a sudden you're faced with what, third and five, third and six at, you know, the 26 yard line, you know, now all of a sudden you're leaning on Brett Rippon to be as good on passing downs as he put. And I think it's fair to say that he was pretty good on passing downs altogether last week. Yeah, he was. And, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, essentially what a passing down is, essentially second and eight or more, third and five or more, fourth and five or more. And if you look at what he did in those situations last week, you know, six of nine, he took two sacks on those in those situations, but he was six of nine for 78 yards. And I think that's pretty good. But if he's facing too many of those situations, I think that that could be kind of a really perilous thing for this offense in the long run. So, you think that's, so when we look at like how the offense went, from, when you go look at the last game, yes, passing, if they get that Madison, and who knows, Rippon's been good the past couple weeks. So, and like we mentioned previously, conference play, he's been really good. And we know Fresno's secondary is pretty good as well. We, we talk with Raja, kind of go through our position breakdowns a little bit. Two questions for me, they could get the running game, but can he do it again? Like, they already know they could stop Madison, so I would say the emphasis is more on Boise State, figuring, okay, how can they get him going better, and can they do it again on the passing game, whereas Fresno's like, all right, we got the rushing game down. What can we do in the secondary stop to stop right? But I'm not saying they'll pay more attention to the passing game, but they kind of already sort of, not completely because they'll both make adjustments, but they sort of stopped the running game. They just got to figure out how to stop like Cedric Wilson somehow or stop guys in the passing game like uh, maybe Jake Rowe who didn't who's going to be healthy this game. Yeah, I think Rowe is going to be really interesting to watch because you know, I think Alec Danins did you know, he did okay 
I think in, in Rose Stead, like he, he had two catches. I think they were both for first downs. And so, I, you know, the, he Rippon didn't have any trouble targeting him. He ended up with four targets on the, on the afternoon. You know, so it's going to be really interesting to see how much of a uh, how much of a role he plays, especially in those kind of short yardage situations. I'm almost wondering if we'll see more of those direct handoffs that we've tended to see. You know, for instance, when Roe they're at the goal line, you know, inside the five or something like that. Are they going to? you know, break out a wildcat to see if they can force him to be kind of their short yardage back. Because, you know, one of the other things that Fresno State's been really good at this year, and they were really good at it last Saturday, it was holding Boise in check on third and fourth down. You know, they were only six of 14 on third, 0 of two on fourth down. And those fourth down plays especially were really critical. And it's, one of those things where if you look at the situations, if you look at how good Fresno has been on fourth downs this year, it on its face, it kind of looks like the kind of thing that's unsustainable because I think they're only giving up 22% of fourth down conversions. And, you know, even in fourth and one situations, I had I went and I thought this was a really interesting note from the media guy that I saw this week. If you go back to the BYU game, you know, they, in the last four games, they've faced one, two, three, four, five, six. They faced seven fourth down situations. Four of those have been fourth and one. Do you know how many opponents have converted? Uh, not many. Zero. Zero. Okay, that's pretty good. So there's like three fourth and longs, which are obviously you know longer odds to convert. Two fourth and ones against BYU. One fourth and one against Wyoming one-fourth and one against Boise State, and they hold every single time. Like, that's one of those really subtle things that is potentially really huge in this rematch because if you remember that drive early where they're at, I believe it was the, the, the Fresno State 25 early in the game, and, you know, they want to... Yeah, they're at the 25. It's their third drive of the game. They've already driven 53 yards on 10 plays. They want to you know, answer with seven points, which so they line up and they go for it. So, you know, is Fresno State going to be able to work that kind of magic one more time? Because I wouldn't be surprised if Boise State gets in that situation again, where it's, you know, fourth and one at the 30. I don't think that's a situation where they're going to be bringing Hayden Hogarth out there, because I don't think he has the range to hit from 45 yards consistently. So if if the Bulldogs are able to force his hand on those short yardage situations, one of the most critical things in this game is, is Fresno State going to be as good as on third and fourth and short as they have been all year long? I don't know. It's it's hard. It's Here's the thing. You got all these stats the whole season. It comes, it, it, well, it does come down to one game. How much do you, these really matter when you said you played last week? They still should matter, but you got some familiarity in there. You got a couple of guys coming back. Are you confident well, these numbers will hold up, even though they've seen each other seven days ago? Well, that, that's the question. I don't think anybody can have a definitive answer for that. I think these kinds of things are indicative of the fact that those situations didn't go Boise State's way last week, and it definitely could this week. Because, you know, let's say they face the same situation. They give it to Ryan Wolpin on fourth and one. He gets a first down. They move the chains. They score a touchdown. 
you know, if it's if the game plays out exactly the same way it did last week, all of a sudden Boise State's up 14 to 7. Now the Bulldogs offense needs another answer. You know, and I think that again, like I said last week, I think both of these teams will be able to move the ball a little bit against these defenses. But I mean, I don't know. It's just, you know, we saw that it came down to a handful of plays last week. And so it wouldn't surprise me if these two teams are dead even through three quarters again, and it comes down to one or two big plays in the fourth quarter this time around. All right, so we, we've been going to a lot of stuff here. We've had a long show. We've been talking about the, the matchup. We're, we got our interview coming up shortly. What We already got the key. I don't know. What, how should we end this? Because we got some more conversation about the game with another, another person. Like, Is there anything that's, that we didn't talk about before with Raja because we already recorded it? That we won't, that we should get to now. We talked about like I think Madison's a huge key if Boise's going to win. I think Fresno needs to get a running game going because they didn't really have much with the Jordan Mims. That's an area they need to improve on. McMarion, can he? I don't know what. Maybe look at McMarion. We haven't discussed him very much. Can he have another game where he played pretty well? There are some amazing catches that were made by Keyshawn Johnson and other players on this team, like Jamil jo- or Jameer Jordan against this defense. Like we talked about how physical it was. Let's go to Fresno real quick. Can McMarion have that same success? Because we've seen him like on first down going going well. He had a few not good throws this game, like overthrows, but he's been doing pretty good. But this is wasn't this his best game, I believe, against Boise State? Uh I'm yeah, I mean if you look at raw totals and everything like that, and if you look at the things that have been his weaknesses all year long. Though you know, he basically turned it around against probably the toughest defense he's faced in like a month and a half. You know, we talked about passing downs with regards to Brett Rippon last week. And, you know, McMarion basically had his best game of the year in that in those exact same situations. He was nine of fourteen and 133 yards. So he was moving the chains, especially on third downs, in a way that he wasn't always able to in prior weeks and you could see glimpses of the fact that this was going to change like if you watch the Wyoming game you saw that there were a couple of great throws that he made that were just out of the receiver's reach or like it was a really high degree of difficulty catch to make and it just came up just short so you know was last week a fluke or is it the kind of thing where I've thought all along it's going to regress to the mean at some point you know, how close he comes to repeating that level of success is also going to play a huge role in this game because they're going to need him to figure out how to move the chains against this defense. You know, I don't know that they're necessarily going to, you know, beat the Boise secondary for another 81-yard touchdown. You know, it may come down to needing two or three 20-yard catches instead. Where that comes from, I don't know. But my guess is it's going to be in those really critical situations where they need to move the chains on like third and seven. So we'll see. All right. So we like so we got our interview next. Uh, I would say we give predictions in that part. So if you want predictions, you got to keep listening. I was looking at something like did Fresno play poor on the road? Not really. Got the two losses to Bam and Washington. Okay. I don't know. It's like trying to find something where it could be different from going home to road because. Yeah, Wyoming was kind of a, a low-scoring game. Hawaii, that's tough to play at. They beat San Diego State convincingly on the road, so you can't go with that. It's so I was looking for something like, where can I see something that we haven't seen all year? But I, I don't know. I keep coming back to the running game for either team is going to be possibly the key, more so for Boise than Fresno. And that's where I'm kind of standing at. If uh, I think I mentioned that in our interview. I forget. It's been a while. But I think if 
Boise's going to win. You got to get the running game going. And Fresno's going to win. I think McMarion might have to have a repeat performance. Sounds about right. All right, so let's get to our interview. Um, any, unless you got anything else really quick, because we've gone a long time. We still have 20 minutes left. No, I think we're good. All right, we're good. So, yeah, have a listen to our interview. We chat with uh, me, Matt, and uh, Raja, who's our Boise guy, and we get going on keep continuing keep continuing this title game top going. Top. All right, folks, now joining us. We have an interview this time. We don't do this all that often, but after me and Matt taking a little break, or maybe this will end the show. I will. I guess I'll decide now. This will end the show. So we don't have to make two or three cuts of this. So join us now, one of our Boise State writers, uh, Raja Prabala, joining us right now. And, uh, well, thanks for joining us because we actually have a Boise State guy. Even though me and Matt me and Matt are considered hating Boise State, but we actually have, a in the flesh, a Boise guy. <laughs> no, it's cool. You guys have been doing good work. And uh, I don't know. It's just everything's a slight against Boise State unless you capitulate yourself toward us. So I'm so glad. you bow down? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I'm glad I could be a part of this. Just saying, man. There's um, we got stuff to talk about. We Fresno's ranked. Boise's not. The rules are weird. Apparently, people hate me on Twitter because I think it's not fair. But me and Matt discussed that plenty already because Matt and I don't see eye to eye either on this, right, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say that you know, yes, Boise was the one that put this particular system into place. But if you really do sit back and take the bird's eye view. I don't think anybody's going to question the fact that Boise's seven conference wins are just better than Fresno's seven conference wins. And I think if you emphasize head to head, what you're essentially doing is trying to have it both ways. You know, you want to be, you know, ranked on the one hand because your nine wins are good enough, but then you also want them to count exactly the same. It just didn't, once I really started to think about it, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, the two goals that you want is you want to sell out the game, so you're going to need the tickets to be available on Sunday. And the second thing you want is you want to put the best team in the conference championship game. So like Matt was saying, that this is the best way to accomplish both of those goals. And the other thing, a scenario where two teams are going to play, have the same exact conference record, one team is going to be ranked and then lose, and the other team is going to jump them in the ranking. This situation will never, ever happen again. We, can we, we, me and Matt decided we blame BYU for this. Because they scheduled Hawaii in this final week and made a odd number of games with the Rams on a bye. So, but it'd be pretty cool. Like, why don't? Because wasn't last year, I believe, because Boise and Air Force played Friday afternoon last year, and that game had huge implications for who was going to win the division because they had New Mexico was in the mix. Wyoming ended up host or ended up yeah hosting and being in it. But why not have all divisional games? Even if this were to happen, you could still fix it essentially. But have divisional games, and maybe it's a playing game. Maybe there's more intrigue because Utah State played Air Force. Had that meant something, that was a really good game on Saturday night. They should do something like that. I know there's the people been giving us stuff on Twitter, the petition, change.org. Not going to do anything, folks, but it's a good try. But why not have San Diego, Fresno, Boise, whoever, Utah State, Wyoming, New Mexico? Like That would be a smarter way to schedule, but as we know, Craig Thompson, I've defended him a lot. Can't really do that this case. <laughs> Well, I don't think anybody foresaw Fresno State in any type of situation where they were going to be either in the division or even playing for a game that matters in the division race. So it was a nice rivalry game if you looked at it like that. See, you know what you know what they should do? They should take a, a page from Major League Baseball and just have everybody play at the same time on the last Saturday of the year. Yeah, or World Cup soccer, they do that too. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, then television ratings would go down. 
That's true. But wait, do people actually watch these games? <laughs> ah, <laughs> sort of kidding. Sort of sorry. Not not far off though, right? <laughs> yeah, we watch them. That's enough. <laughs> no, that'd be yeah, that'd be a good point as well because we already knew that the um, Fresno and eh, a little different when Fresno beat Wyoming. That was it. But let's get to the game really quick. So let's start with uh, well, I'll, here's how we're doing this. Normally we'll chat about it, but um, since I am using air quotes neutral, I guess I don't know or. Should I say neutrally biased? Is that the best way to say it? <laughs> for what we That's, That works for that me. Works. And, and so I'll kind of be leading this a little bit here. We'll chat about the game with you two guys. So right now, let me ask you this, Matt. We already kind of mentioned this on the uh, preview recap show, I should say. The line is uh, now eight and a half in favor of Boise yes. State. Oh, and both of your thoughts on this. But let's start with Matt. So is that uh, – what's the deal with that, Matt? Give, me, give everybody your thought who didn't listen last time to how Fresno State's getting disrespected. I mean, I kind of thought it was ridiculous that, you know, I, I I thought seven was fair. But then, you know, we all saw how tightly these two teams played, where it was basically dead even through three quarters until, you know, Fresno State made one or two plays in the fourth. And that was, you know, pretty much the biggest difference in the game. So to me, it didn't make a lot of sense to like, yes, the game is going to Boise and there's going to be usually a two or three point swing just for home field advantage and stuff like that. 10, just after what I saw between these two teams the first time around, seems way too high. If it were me, like, I wouldn't be surprised if it's bent down to, like, four by Saturday. Because, you know, this strikes me as the kind of game where, you know, even if Boise comes out on top, you know, odds are it's going to be a one-score game, one or the other. I don't really see any significant differences between the Broncos and the Bulldogs where one is going to be able to pull away from the other for too long. All right. What about you, Raj? Are you surprised that your Broncos are that much of a favorite, even though they just lost? I would have thought that the line would have been around six and a half. So kind of like what Matt's saying, um, I think Boise state's going to win this game and we could get into that in a little bit. Um, I think they're the better team and the games in Boise. I don't know. Um, I thought six and a half would have been a pretty good fair line, and I think it would have probably stayed around there. Eight and a half was, or nine and a half was, or yeah, like pretty high, but I don't think it's, it's ridiculous. It's high, but I don't think it was. Is it that high just to get, because we know what the line is for. It's not necessarily, is Boise State really 10 points better? Well, last game said no. We know the point is that, okay, what's the point number we could put on where we get Fresno State fans to bet on this game or bet the other way? Right. And, that, and so even with, even if that's why I think 10 is ridiculous. That's why I'm thinking like I would have been fine. Like five and a half to eight would have been to starting points. Like, okay, you can see money on both sides, but how many people are putting money at Boise to go above that? You would be sort of a fool to do that. In my opinion, I have an answer for that. What is it? Because that's one of the things that Vegas Insider, where we got the line from to begin with, one of the things they track is the betting trends on where the money is going. At least right now, 91% of the money is on Fresno State. That's surprising. So my so it seems like so it seems like that, that line's gonna keep moving within the next day or two. It'll probably I'm betting it'll be I think I don't know six and a half might be the best it'll be. But you had to put a lot of money in. So I mean, I guess that means me or you, Matt, need to go put like five hundred bucks to move the line. Will that even move the line? Yeah, maybe half a, half a grand. Will that move the line at all? Well, would it be would it be better if we put half a grand down, or if we got like fifty of our friends to put ten dollars down? That too. Yeah. Whatever. Anybody. 
If you want to make the line yeah. have fun with it, we could skew the line. We still find a sugar daddy in Vegas or Nevada to do something for us. <laughs> well, and I mean, it's not something that we really talk about a lot. But do you realize that in the last 19 games against the spread, Fresno State's 15-3-1? It's pretty well, good. I don't think people realize that, Fresno State was any good until they beat San Diego State this year. Well, maybe not even then. And, and conversely, like I'm just looking this up now because we like never talk about it, but now I think it's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Boise State against the spread in the last 15 games at Albertson Stadium. Want to take a guess? 14 to 1. They have no. not been, what do you think? They have not been that good at home. It's against against so the spread though. So what's your guess? Uh in the last 15 games, I would say 8 and 7. They're 3 and 12 oh! in the last 15 at home. Wow, I, we're both way off. <laughs> so well, I had known that Boise State has not been doing good against the line at home. I knew that just in general terms, but I, I that's pretty surprising. They just win at home, that's all. It doesn't matter if it's 1 or 45, I guess. Well, it has been a common theme amongst fans that Boise State is playing, seems like they're playing better football on the road. I know that the Virginia game skews the stats when it comes to home and road games, but Boise State's played better on the road when you look at the Washington game and the Virginia Washington State game, the Virginia game. You know, it hasn't really been that big of an advantage and that you know i'm you guys follow me on twitter you guys know me know i'm that one of the biggest brian harson like supporters but you know that's has one he, thing but wait 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 has he blocked on twitter though that's the question no he has not i do You're, check i check every of... morning and um <laughs> it's a, like a small celebration and i don't know why he would but he might just go on a mass blocking screen but now I, I usually support him and he hasn't blocked me yet but i do check every morning there you go <laughs> All right, so we I posted earlier today the kind of position advantages that um, you and I, all three of us, put together. It's ended up being pretty sort of close. However, offensively, it's more towards Boise State than Fresno because, well, Fresno doesn't have as great of an offense as we've seen. Look at what I post. I'm checking really quick because I'm trying to read what I just post like 10 minutes ago. I guess who knows when you're re- listening to this now, but Wednesday night I posted something that included all three of us. So what would you say, because we all had a couple of unanimous decisions, like I said, we had quarterback, running back, wide receiver, we're all toward um, Boise State, I believe. Is that correct? Is that right? Am I right on that? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. my, my computer's going slow. Well, I know I, I picked Boise, and I'm trying to find your article to see what you guys picked, but I know I picked Boise in all those categories. There we go. I think I need to, I think I need to reword article because I mentioned something about wide receiver. Um, no, no, wide receiver was Fresno State. That was the one. Sorry, no. Wide receiver is uh, – I'm terrible tonight. Sorry, folks. I'm doing the, trying to read this. But so offensively, it is Boise State clearly because Brett Rippin, even though people have heard me, Cozart playing, whatever, I'm not a huge fan of that, but it is. Better than McMarion for the most part, except on first down, McMarion's pretty good. So where would you say the biggest edge would be? I'll start with you, Raja. Out of any position group we have, whether you pick Boise or Fresno, whatever one you chose, where would you say the biggest edge lies for – just give me one, one for each team. Do you know what? I'm going to go with quarterback just because uh, I think Marcus McMarion obviously has played really well, done a great job. But I think that Brett Rippon, we've seen good Brett Rippon the last three or four weeks, I think five, six weeks. I think he could really lead a team to victory and he could make all the throws. And um, 
I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't broken down that much Fresno State game, but I don't, I don't think that you have that much confidence in McMarion to win a game for you. So I'd say Rippon is – I think he's the best uh, quarterback in the conference. So I'd say that's the biggest advantage for Boise State. Really? really? Come on, Come Nick, on Stevens? Nick Stevens? Yeah, well, it, <laughs> Nick Stevens has been better over the course of the year. But okay. who is more talented? I know we're getting to subjective areas, but who's more talented? Who would win Josh Allen, come on. He'll be a number four pick overall. <laughs> Josh Allen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I could see Rippin for sure if they played him all year, but for what how the year's been going, he's he's still talented. They figured it out, but I still go Nick Stevens. But that's a good point. What about you, Matt? Who's the biggest, whether it's Boise or Fresno, who has the biggest edge, you think, overall? So... I feel like I have to preface this because when I was making these decisions, I was like, you know, I probably could have put push for all of them if I really, you know, if you didn't force me to choose for most of these. I don't think that the gaps are that great at any one of them, but I think if I had to choose one, I would probably, I would probably give the edge to Fresno State's offensive line. And, and I say this as someone who also gave the nod to Boise State's defensive line because, you know, not all of a sudden Fresno State's missing one of their key guys up front, Nate Madsen, who's, you know, he's not going to be playing on Saturday. So I think that is enough to give Boise, you know, the edge. But then we all saw the game last Saturday and we kind of saw that, you know, Fresno State's offensive line was more or less able to do what it has been doing all year. Like they kept Marcus McMarion clean. Like they, you know, they didn't give up any sacks. They, they, you know, they gave up a little bit of pressure and, and they forced McMarion into some, you know, um, off target throws. But, you know, they only had one tackle for loss last week. You know, they, so they weren't really able to push the running game back, which is, have, has been one of those really quiet, if really odd strengths of the running game all season long. So, you know, even when they were stopping them one or two yards, it's still one or two yards forward rather than backwards. And, you know, I think all things considered, you know, Boise State, we know they have guys who can rush the passer, but those guys were nowhere to be found on Saturday. And so my biggest question, which I think is an advantage to Fresno State, is, you know, this is a team that's been keeping their quarterbacks clean basically all year long. You know, and, and to the point where McMarion's sack rate is all the way below 2% now. And, you know, one of the biggest X factors in this game is, you know, are Boise State's big, you know, sack guys, you know, Curtis Weaver, Jabril Frazier, and so on, are they going to be able to get home? And right now, I'm kind of, you know, the way that the offensive line's been playing, I'm kind of thinking no. And if that's the case, that's going to make for a significant advantage for Fresno State's offense as a whole. So if you made me choose, I would say that. I would say going through, like I'll interject here because I mine's different. So if it's the same, I would have passed on. But I think, I think it could be the running game. I know overall Boise State hasn't been great. Them and Fresno are pretty even. But if Alexander Madison is healthy and ready to go, I know he only had sixty three yards last week, but not many people do that great against Fresno State running the ball. But I thinking he could be. I think that might be the biggest gap if he has a good game. I know. It depends. Colorado State played well. BYU San Diego State played really good, and so I, to, I think that's where talent is of production. I think that could be, but like you said, Matt, that defensive line for us was really good and overall. But I think if you look at that talent discrepancy, I think that could be the biggest gap. But it's kind of diminished because that Fresno line. 
But that's kind of where I stand on there because I think if you're going to pick who's going to have a bigger game on the ground, I would probably say 9 out of 10 and give it to Madison every time. And I think that's fair. Am I way off base? Am yeah, I, I off mean, base on that or is that sort of in the same area of being accurate? <laughs> Question mark? I mean, I don't think you're wrong, but I think, you know, last Saturday proved that that's a big mm-hmm. if. That's true. I just think it like just off talent alone, it's I, – I would just say, like, if you're going to pick it back, I think it could be. And I know we all picked receiver here, but I think I would say this, Cedric, like, overall receiving, like, I think Fresno has a depth, like you both put, but would you, anybody disagree, Cedric Wilson is the best receiver on this field on Saturday? If he is 100%, he is the best wide receiver on the field. Well, I mean, I think he, that was one of those things, you know, again, if you look to last Saturday, he was the best receiver on the field. Okay. Just scary. Just asking to see, see where we're at here. So, um, all right, we need to wrap this up here because we don't make too long. Let's let you guys. Let's both make a pitch. You both of you guys for your team, your your university you root for that you write about that you whatever you do, whatever you do on Saturday when they're playing. Let's start with you. We'll start with Matt. We'll get let Roger get the last word. So, Matt, what's your pitch for uh, Fresno State winning this matchup? Okay, so my pitch is that. This may not be the most exciting Mountain West Championship you're ever going to see. And a lot of that is going to come down to the fact that Fresno State will play to its strengths. You know, they they are, they tend to run the ball. They're not flashy, but they continually move the chains. And they give their quarterback, who doesn't make mistakes, a chance to really succeed with a really deep wide receiver core that's going to be hard to focus down on one guy. So... You know, the offense, I think, will be able to move the ball. And the defense, you know, if you watched last Saturday's game and you were having questions about whether they're for real, let's, you know, let's not beat around the bush. They're for real. So, you know, if they can force Boise to be one-dimensional again, you know, I thought that that was one of the biggest keys going into last week's game. I still think the same thing for this game. I'm kind of thinking they will. Same question as last week. Is Brett Rippin going to be good enough to carry the load. And I think that against a defense like this, you know, he didn't really make many mistakes last week. He might make one this week. And I think that in a close game like that, that's going to be all the difference. So you're looking at a, you know, a a steady offense, an opportunistic defense, and, you know, probably a one score game, but the better team's going to come out on top. And that is, what's your score? Fresno State 28, Boise State 20, 24. 24, okay. All right, Roger, you're on the clock. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, well, I think it's really interesting that Matt ended his um, his little Fresno State speech with um, saying that Fresno State was a better team. And to preface this, I think the reason we watch sports is the better team doesn't always win. So Fresno State won last week, tip of the cap. But, I mean, watching that game and watching this year, I think Boise State is the better football team right now. Uh you know, that there was an 81-yard pass from McMarion to Keyshawn Johnson, you know, great pass. But that that was like a big play that Fresno State made. And then you watch the first half um, after they traded touchdowns. You know, Boise State got it past the 50-yard line three straight times and didn't get any points. And that's not good, obviously, but that just shows you that they're, they're a much better offense. And I don't know what was going on with the playbook. I think Harson was holding on to some things. He opened up with the fleet flicker. The, the people in the telecast were talking about whether Harson is showing too much, but yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know what that was about. But I, 
I think that Boise State's just a better football team. I think Fresno State's really good. I think offense is kind of limited, and um, they'll, they'll move the ball. But I think if Boise State plays their game, they're just a better off. They're just a better football team. And if Rippon is on, if it's good Brett Rippon, he'll do his thing. They'll move the ball. Jake Rowe is going to be back. Um, I think he was. He's definitely injured, but I think he was also strategically held out. So that's going to be another factor. Uh, I don't know the exact yardage that Madison got last week. I think it was like 62, but he did get 4.5 yards per carry. So he was moving the ball. He just, for whatever reason, they decided to go with a hot hand. So, uh, And there were no turnovers last week, and I think Boise State will come away with a couple of turnovers. I think that will be the biggest difference with the, the crowd noise. So if you factor in a turnover or two for Boise State and maybe one big play switching ways, I think this has Boise State win written all over it. So originally, I was going to go with a big Boise State win, but you know, I tried to pull it back in. I know Matt's pretty professional, so I tried to be professional <laughs> with my prediction. Yeah, you, hey, you know what? You know what? They don't pay us enough to be anything but ourselves. That's so. If you're seeing exactly, so so if you're if you're seeing something, well, I had to take and I just posted this up. Um, I got a draft article going. I just posted it up, and of course, you know, I have Boise State covering the spread. So I got Boise State right now at 29 and Fresno State at 20. 29, that's an odd number. Yeah, I don't know how I got to that number. Um, like a bunch of field goals. Just a crazy Maybe amount safety. of field goals. All right, five so, field so, goals and two touchdowns. <laughs> Perfect. All right, so we're ending the show here because I'm lazy. Don't want to cut a couple tracks with Matt. I'll give my prediction here just so I can make it work worth, worth everyone's while to hear what I have to say, which if you care about, cool. If not, whatever. I don't care like Matt said. It doesn't matter. But they, they don't give us enough here to make a decision here. But I will. Here's where you I mentioned. I'm going to make a prediction. Like, I made a – my predictions have been pretty good this year, I think. Talking to Matt, like, throughout the year and stuff. Most of them have been pretty good. So I'm going to make a prediction like I did versus the San Diego State game. Matt, do you remember what that prediction was? When Boise, when Boise played San Diego State, a, Avery Williams will be the big player in this game. There is okay. a special team – he has been great returning the ball of late. He did have that touchdown versus Aztecs. So, like you mentioned at the end of your little thing, Roger, there that he could have like a flip the field or something. I'm not sure if he'll get a touchdown, but I think he could play a big part if he gets a return game going. But like overall, like you're correct. Like when you look at the all conference team, there was a reason Boise had more players in Fresno who had what one on the offensive side of the ball. That's it. For Boise had multiple players. Didn't have Brett Ripon second team. I think as a team, what Boise get to their Boise can do their offense is more explosive defense. They're more closely aligned. I'm thinking like we are good. Brett Urban shows up. And if Alexander Madison is exactly perfectly healthy, which he's always dinged up. It seemed like for part of this year, I think it's gonna be like 24, 21 Boise state, but it's going to be because they don't give Montel Cozart a million carries or a million snaps. Give him like eight at most. And that might be generous on my part, but I think Burp will show up well, but it'll be like a, whoever has the ball last in this game might win. Not because it'll be some sort of shootout, but it'll be there will be something where somebody will score at the end. There'll be a game-winning drive of some sort. I think it'll come down be an exciting game, but I think Boise's going to win because they're at home, a little bit better offensively, and it'll be like twenty-four twenty-one. That's my pick. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> All right. All right. So, um, anything else we need to add here, Raj? Anything parting shots you want to say before we wrap this bad boy up? Um, no, I think it's going to be a good one, and um. I don't know. It should be fun, and thanks for having me on, and uh, I will catch up with you guys gleefully on Saturday night, I hope. We'll see. All right, so check them out. It's uh, Raja Bleeds Blue, R-A-J-A, Bleeds Blue, and check our show out. Uh, again, iTunes, Stitcher, 
uh, renowned Spreakers, not on Spotify yet. We're working on that, Matt. Not there quite yet. Uh, tune in if you want to listen to us there. MWR.com. Check us out. Tell two friends, right? Tell a Raja, you need to tell a couple of friends to listen to our show. Maybe the Boise fans won't hate us if they happen to say, hey, there's a Boise guy on the show. Maybe? I think winning on Saturday will help that quite a bit. Well, come on. Give so us a retweet. A reason retweet before. Come on. <laughs> But no, that's fine. Cool. We'll do what you want. We just want people to listen. So if they want to hear you, if, you're, if you want your grandma to listen, your uncle, I don't know, tell them about us. If not, we're cool with it. It's okay. If you're embarrassed to be talking to us, that's fine too. We like to have fun and crack jokes. <laughs> but no, thanks for hopping on for sure. Definitely got good info there. And that's our show for today. MWR.com. And we'll end it as we always do. Of course, we're biased to get your team.